0: The wind has grown cold. Creatures of the night stalk the shadows in the treeline. The sky is flecked with stars. Come, children, gather round and listen to a tale by the dancing fire. Welcome to the Story Circle. I am, as always, your humble storyteller. Before we begin, I wanted to let you know that after this week's story, there won't be any for a while. Your storyteller has to hit the road and share a different sort of story with some schoolchildren about the importance of conservation of energy. To make up for this, and because there was no story last week, today's episode will feature two stories— one, which will be read from my book of stories, and another, which was told to me as a child, and I cannot find in any of my storybooks. As such, I will be reciting this tale from memory. It may be a bit meandering, and for that I apologize, but I will do my best to keep the story as succinct as possible. So, without further ado, our first story comes from Iceland, and tells the tale of a powerful witch in an impossible boat. So, make yourselves comfortable, perhaps get yourself something to drink, and listen as we hear the Icelandic tale of the witch in the stone boat. There were once a king and a queen, and they had a son called Sigurd who was very strong and active and good looking. When the king came to be bowed down with the weight of years, he spoke to his son, and said that now it was time for him to look out for a fitting match for himself, for he did not know how long he might last now, and he would like to see him married before he died. Sigurd was not averse to this, and asked his father where he thought it best to look for a wife. The king answered that in a certain country there was a king who had a beautiful daughter, and he thought it would be most desirable if Sigurd could get her. So the two parted, and Sigurd prepared for the journey, and went to where his father had directed him. He came to the king, and asked his daughter's hand, which he readily granted him, but only on the condition that he should remain there as long as he could, for the king himself was not strong, and not very able to govern his kingdom. Sigurd accepted this condition, but added that he would have to get leave to go home again to his own country when he heard news of his father's death. After that, Sigurd married the princess, and helped his father-in-law to govern the kingdom. He and the princess loved each other dearly, and after a year a son came to them, who was two years old when word came to Sigurd that his father had passed. Sigurd now prepared to return home with his wife and child, and went on board ship to go by sea. They had sailed for several days when the breeze suddenly fell, and there came a dead calm, at a time when they needed only one day's voyage to reach home. Sigurd and his queen were one day on deck, when most of the others on the ship had fallen asleep. There they sat and talked for a while, and had their little son along with them. After a time, Sigurd became so heavy with sleep that he could no longer keep awake, and so went below to lay down, leaving the queen alone on deck, playing with her son. A good while, after Sigurd had gone below, the queen saw something black on the sea, which seemed to be coming nearer. As it approached, she could make out that it was a boat, and could see the figure of someone sitting in it, and rowing. At last, the boat came alongside the ship, and now the queen saw that it was a stone boat, out of which there came up on board the ship a fearfully ugly witch." The queen was more frightened than words could describe, and could neither speak a word nor move from the place so as to awaken the king or the sailors. The witch came right up to the queen, took the child from her, and laid it on the deck. Then she took the queen, and stripped her of all her fine clothes, which she proceeded to put on herself, and looked like a human being. Last of all, she took the queen, put her into the boat, and said, This spell I lay upon you, that you slacken not your course until you come to my brother in the underworld. The queen sat stunned and motionless, but the boat at once shot away from the ship with her, and before long she was out of sight. When the boat could no longer be seen, the child began to cry, and though the witch tried to quiet it, she could not manage. So she went below to where the king was sleeping with the child on her arm and awakened him, scolding him for leaving them alone on the deck, while he and all the crew were asleep. It was great carelessness of him, she said, to leave no one to watch the ship with her. Sigurd was greatly surprised to hear his queen scold him so much, for she had never said an angry word to him before. But he thought it was quite excusable in this case, and tried to quiet the child along with her, but it was no use. Then he went and woke the sailors and bade them hoist the sails, for a breeze had sprung up and was blowing straight towards the harbor. They soon reached the land which Sigurd was to rule over, and found all the people sorrowful for the old king's death, but they became glad when they got Sigurd back to the court, and made him king over them. The king's son, however, hardly ever stopped crying from the time he had been taken from his mother on the deck of the ship, although he had always been such a good child before, so that at last the king had to get a nurse for him, one of the maids of the court. As soon as the child got into her charge, he stopped crying and behaved well as before. After the sea voyage, it seemed to the king that the queen had altered very much in many ways, and not for the better. He thought her much more haughty and stubborn and difficult to deal with than she used to be, Before long, others began to notice this as well as the king. In the court, there were two young fellows, one of eighteen years old, the other of nineteen, who were very fond of playing chess, and often sat long inside playing at it. Their room was next to the queen's, and often during the day, they heard the queen talking. One day, they paid more attention than usual when they heard her talk, and put their ears close to a crack in the wall between the rooms, and heard the queen say quite plainly, "'When I yawn a little, then I am a nice little maiden. "'When I yawn halfway, then I am half a troll. "'And when I yawn fully, then I am a troll altogether.'" As she said this, she yawned tremendously, and in a moment had put on the appearance of a fearfully ugly troll. Then there came up through the floor of the room a three-headed giant with a trough full of meat who saluted her as his sister, and set down the trough before her. She began to eat out of it, and never stopped till she had finished it. The young fellow saw all this going on, but did not hear the two of them say anything to each other. They were astonished, though, at how greedily the queen devoured the meat, and how much she ate of it, and were no longer surprised that she took so long when she sat at table with the king. As soon as she had finished it, The giant disappeared with the trough by the same way he had come, and the queen returned to her human shape. Now we must go back to the king's son, after he had been put in charge of the nurse. One evening, after she had lit a candle and was holding the child, several planks sprang up in the floor of the room, and out of the opening came a beautiful woman dressed in white, with an iron belt round her waist. "'to which was fastened an iron chain that went down into the ground. "'The woman came up to the nurse, took the child from her, and pressed it to her breast. "'Then she gave it back to the nurse, and returned by the same way she had come, "'and the floor closed over her once again. "'Although the woman had not spoken a single word to her, "'the nurse was very much frightened, and told no one about it. "'Next evening the same thing happened again, just as before.' But as the woman was going away, she said in a sad tone, Two are gone. Only one is left. And then disappeared as before. The nurse was still more frightened when she heard the woman say this, and thought that perhaps some danger was hanging over the child, though she still had no ill opinion of the woman, who, indeed, had behaved towards the child as if it was her own. The most mysterious thing was the woman saying, and only one is left. But the nurse guessed that this must mean that only one day was left, since she had come for two days already. At last, the nurse made up her mind to go to the king, and told him the whole story, and asked him to be present in person next day, about the time when the woman usually came. The king promised to do so, and came to the nurse's room a little before the time, and sat down on a chair with his drawn sword in his hand. Soon after, the planks in the floor sprang up as before, and the woman came up, dressed in white, with an iron belt and chain. The king saw at once that it was his own queen, and immediately hewed asunder the iron chain that was fastened to the belt. This was followed by such noises and crashings down in the earth that all in the king's palace shook, so that no one expected anything else than to see every bit of it shaken to pieces. At last, however... The noises and shaking stopped, and they began to come to themselves again. The king and queen embraced each other, and she told him the whole story, how the witch came to the ship when they were all asleep, and sent her off in a boat. After she had gone so far that she could not see the ship, she sailed on through darkness, until she landed beside a three-headed giant. The giant wished her to marry him, but she refused, whereupon he shut her up by herself, and told her she would never go free until she consented. After a time, she began to plan how to get her freedom, and at last she told him that she would consent if he would allow her to visit her son on earth three days on end. This he agreed to, but put on her this iron belt and chain, the other end of which he fastened round his own waist, and the great noises that were heard when the king cut the chain must have been caused by the giant falling down the underground passage when the chain gave way so suddenly. The giant's dwelling, indeed, was right under the palace, and the terrible shakings must have been caused by him in his death throes. The king now understood how the queen had had for some time past been so ill-tempered. He at once had a sack drawn over her head, and made her be stoned to death, and after that, torn to pieces by unarmored horses. The two young fellows also told now what they had heard and seen in the queen's room, for before this they had been afraid to say anything about it, on account of the queen's great power. The real queen was now restored to all her dignity, and was beloved by all. The nurse was married to a nobleman, and the king and queen gave her splendid presents." Our next tale is, as I said, one I recall from my youth, and one that I enjoyed very much. I tell it as often as I can to friends, loved ones, anyone who wants to hear it. It is a tale about a ferocious dragon, a desperate king, and a young Romani merchant. So, sit back and relax AND LISTEN TO THE TALE OF THE DRAGON AND THE MERCHANT. ONCE LONG AGO, IN A KINGDOM FAR TO THE NORTH, THERE LIVED A HANDSOME YOUNG KING, RICH BEYOND MEASURE, WHO HAD A VERY BEAUTIFUL DAUGHTER. HIS LAND PROSPERED, GAVE GREAT GRAINS, AND PRODUCED MUCH IN THE WAY OF PRODUCE. However, such wealth was not to be without enemy, and one day a dragon, coveting the wealth of the king, came down from the mountains, fire spewing from his mouth and smoke billowing from his nostrils. He told the king that if the king did not give him fifty percent of their produce that year, he would eat up every young man and woman in the kingdom. The king's brave knights went to fight the dragon, but each of them was consumed in turn by the dragon's ferocious jaws, and the king had no choice but to share half the spoils of his kingdom with the dragon. As time went on, the dragon began to make more outrageous demands. Fifty thousand pieces of gold, fifty heads of cattle, and so it continued. Finally, The dragon approached the king and informed him that his kingdom would burn if he did not give the dragon, his only daughter, to feast upon. The king became desperate and sent orders out across the land to anyone who could defeat the dragon, promising them half his kingdom and marriage to his beautiful daughter. Many brave warriors approached the dragon, but all were treated to the same fate. Finally, as the promised day approached, and it appeared the king would have to give up his only daughter, a young Romani approached the king's court. He told the king that he would defeat the dragon if he was provided with two things, a bar made of hardest iron and a wheel of cheese shaped to look like an ordinary rock. The king was confused How a young boy could do what his bravest knights and warriors from across the land could not. But he was desperate, and did as the young boy asked. The young boy went out into the fields that night, with his flute, the iron bar, and the wheel of cheese, and sat, playing his flute, waiting for the dragon to approach. He did not have long to wait, however as the dragon approached from his cave, fire spewing from his mouth and smoke billowing from his nostrils. (sniffs) Who are you, young one? Why, I am no one but a traveling merchant, noble dragon, said the young man, but I wish to have a contest of strength with you. Should I win, you will leave these lands and never return. Should you win, you may burn the kingdom behind me to your heart's content. (laughs) You are so small. How could you think to be stronger than me? The young man smiled and said, because my grandmother is a sorceress and has enchanted me to be stronger even than you. I will present to you two challenges. First, that I can throw this iron bar higher into the air than you. And second, that I can make a rock cry tears. The dragon narrowed his eyes at the young boy, but accepted his challenge, knowing that both tasks were impossible. The boy gave the bar to the dragon and instructed him to throw it as high as he could. The dragon, with a mighty throw, flung the bar into the sky hundreds of feet it twirled and twirled before falling and landing at his feet. (laughs) "'Try to do better, little one,' the dragon said. The merchant whistled, "'Truly, you are mighty, noble dragon.' But as I said, I am enchanted by my grandmother, and with one hand I will throw this bar higher than even you. And so, the young Romani took the iron bar, flexed his back, and made to throw the iron bar high into the air. The dragon, whose eyesight was very bad and intelligence very low, looked to the sky to follow it. As the merchant, dropped the iron bar behind his head onto a soft patch of grass so it made no noise. The dragon searched the sky for a long time, but never saw the bar, nor heard it fall again. He looked back to the merchant, who simply shrugged and said, I must have thrown it so high it will never come down. The dragon narrowed his eyes, but, being unintelligent and, again, very nearsighted, could think of no other explanation. Very well,
1: you have
0: some strength, but you cannot make a stone cry tears. The dragon picked a massive boulder up from the ground and squeezed and squeezed with all his might. At last, the boulder shattered into dust, but never once did it cry tears. The merchant again whistled loudly and said, Surely, dragon, you are mighty indeed. You have crushed this boulder into dust. But you did not make it cry. I will show you the true strength of my grandmother. And picking up the wheel of cheese, he began to squeeze. The cheese was freshly made. And as he squeezed the wheel, milk began to leak out of the pores until finally, as he crushed the cheese in his hands, it wept tears of milk onto the ground. The dragon became afraid and shrank from the merchant. "'Please, noble friend, I will leave this village if you will but leave me unharmed.' The merchant now stood to his full height, puffing out his chest as much as he could, and said, You will, dragon, and if ever I see you return, I will crack your skull like a melon. The dragon ran quickly away, hiding deep in the caves. And the merchant boy returned to the king. Successful. He married his daughter, was given half his lands, and it is said that they lived happily ever after. Long, long into their ears. But what of the dragon, you might ask? Well, he returned to the caves beneath the earth, and sought out his own grandmother. Why have you returned, grandson? the dragon's grandmother said. Oh, grandmother, I met a powerful Romani sorcerer on the road. He threw an iron bar past the limits of the earth, and caused a stone to cry tears. "'It is good you return, grandson,' the older dragon said. "'I met a Romani witch in my youth as well, "'who could do many the same tricks. "'It is likely she is the grandmother of the boy you speak.'" And so the dragons retreated into the earth, and have never come out since. By the Dancing Fire is a forest ghost production. Be sure to like By the Dancing Fire on Facebook, and if you liked what you heard, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash bythedancingfire. For as little as $5 a month, you'll help us continue to produce content like this. And you'll gain access to perks, like early access to episodes, or extra episodes that no one else gets to hear. And if you donate at the highest tier, you'll have access to our monthly AMA, The Elders' Council, where you can ask anything you want of the storyteller or the production team, or even request stories that you want to hear. Thank you very much, and tune in next week as we bring another story by The Dancing Fire.